everything was just thrown upon us and it's been changing day by day, hour by hour. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of information there. So we're happy to be able to provide some options. So in that way, everybody feels like they are confident in making decisions because these decisions, not only are they short term, but they also are long term as well. So we want to keep in mind the reputation that we've built in a community with our patients and also the culture that we have our team. So what we thought about starting off with is maybe just kind of jumping right into what's new um, with any updates in the family first. Mm -hmm. um, response with Corona Act, uh, Coronavirus Act. So I'm going to pass you to Isabel and then we'll kind of dive into a little bit more options and then if there's any questions and we're here. Awesome. Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much, Samantha. So um, first, I just wanted to kind of reiterate and explain what the bill is and how that if, if impacts employers. So the bill um, was signed last week and it will be effective April 2nd. So the bill requires employers to provide two weeks, which is 80 hours of paid sick leave paid at the employee's regular rate of pay to sell to either self-quarantine, seek diagnosis or preventative care for coronavirus. The other part of that is um, you're going to be paying them two thirds of the employee's regular rate of pay for the same length for two weeks if they're either taking care of a family member or taking care of a child whose school was closed due to um, uh, the coronavirus. So those two things are going to be a huge impact on um, dental practices really all around uh, the world. And I just wanted to mention that and remind you guys that April 2nd is a date that you should keep in the back of your head just in case you haven't decided what to do with your team and are still wondering what, um, you know, what to do. I think it's very important to read and ask us if you have questions regarding what you're thinking of doing because by that date, if you still have employees, then you're going to be mandated to follow that because it applies to people who employers who have 500 or less employees. Now, I know the American Dental Association is working to, you know, hopefully get dental practices exempt from this bill. But as of right now, there's no new information how you can apply for the exemption if the Department of Labor has provided information. So we're still kind of going day by day, getting information on this. And once we do have it, of course, we're going to provide that information for you guys. Um, but yeah, if you guys have any questions regarding what to do on or if you're still wondering if you guys want to open, if you want to stay closed, if you want to just reduce hours, just ask us questions and we'll be able to help. Yes. So I was thinking there was a couple of things that we kind of talked about a little earlier today in terms of a few options. So there's a couple options available if you do decide that you want to keep your team on board, um, but maybe at a, at a different role or in a different kind of shape than what we have right now if they're full time and we're closed. Right. So that totally eliminates with what our day to day activity and the regular roles and responsibilities look like within the practice. So um, we'll start off with kind of maybe sharing some options like doing a work sharing program um, that's available. So I'm going to have Olivia kind of talk a little bit more about what that looks like for the Canadian side and then for the Canadian dentists that are on this group. And then we'll have Isabel kind of talk a little bit more of what that looks like for the U.S. Cool. Great. Thanks, Samantha. So basically, work sharing is a program that has been designed to help eligible employers avoid layoffs when there's been a temporary reduction in the normal level of business activity. And these reductions of normal level of business activity 
are in this case going to be beyond the control of the employer. So obviously a pandemic definitely falls into that category. So this program will be available to both federally and provincially regulated employers, but it's important that we talk about the eligibility of these sorts of programs. So any people that, uh, any employees that were either seasonal employees, students hired for the summer, any sort of co-ops, um, employees that are hired on a casual or on-call basis, or any employees that are shareholders of the business will not be eligible for any sort of work sharing programs. Otherwise, all of your other employees would be eligible for this. So in Canada, the employment insurance benefits uh, have been increased through the emergency care and emergency support benefits, and these will be provided for eligible employees as income support. So in these programs, affected employees must agree to work a reduced schedule and share available work over a specific per, uh, period of time. And these sorts of agreements must be agreed to in, in writing. So we want to make sure that there is a document that is clear that, you know, this is out of our control. We are agreeing to these terms for the, the period of this pandemic, whatever that may be. And thankfully, like EI and all other forms of government assistance, right now, the mandatory waiting period has been waived, so these programs can actually become in effect straight away. So as I mentioned before about eligibility, um, we talked about who's not eligible for this. So just to clarify who is eligible, uh, these would be any practices. So I know this is a dental startup group, but if you have been in, in practice for at least two years, then you would be eligible for this. Um, private businesses, publicly held companies, not-for-profits, all eligible. You must be able to demonstrate that the shortage of work is temporary and, like I said before, beyond your personal control. You must also be able to demonstrate that there is a recent decrease in business activity of at least 10%. So like I said, in this case, obviously we're going to be going above and beyond that. A 10% decrease is, is pretty small in, in the long run, and this is pretty drastic and pretty devastating to a lot of people. So these kind of work share programs can really help to kind of provide a little more stability when things are so uncertain with your team. Um, we also want to make sure when we're applying for these programs that we submit and implement a recovery plan that is a clear uh, return to work program, and it clearly stipulates the um, agreement of the work sharing program between the individuals. Now, these programs, they can last for, uh, they, they must last if you get approved for one of these programs for a minimum of six weeks. Uh, previous legislation had said up to a maximum of 38 weeks, but based on COVID-19, we have changed that legislation and we are now uh, able to use work sharing programs for up to 76 weeks continuously. So in any given week, the work reduction can vary based on available work as long as the work reduction on average is between 10 to 60% of the duration of the program. Right now we're talking about Canada, right? Yes, we are. Okay. You betcha. Um, <laughs> I saw that look like there was a question there. <laughs> awesome. And then the, these programs can be really super, like really beneficial for your employees because then you're, you're avoiding those temporary layoffs, right? And you're trying to get people um, still involved in the workplace and have a little bit of stable income. It, it's not their full income, but at least it's, it's somewhat stable. And on the same, on the same end for employees, it's, it's a great measure of cost cutting as there is less work to be done. So you're not worrying about you know, cutting half of your employees and keeping half of them on, you're working all together to kind of facilitate um, this, this program so that it's fair for everybody. And applications for this program are quite simple, either just through the Government of Canada website or employees or employers can actually get this, uh, the, this ball rolling by calling in. They have some, uh, some toll-free numbers that you can call.
Awesome. Okay. I don't think there's anybody, if anybody, anybody watching right now, if you have a question about that for Canada, um, then ask now, right? But if you don't, then let's go with the next. Okay. So for the U.S., um, it is a little bit similar, but um, unfortunately in the U.S., only 27 states have this work sharing program. Uh, so there is a link that we can provide you guys to check to see if your state is um, one of those that covers it. Again, this unemployment or partial employment depends on where you're located, so it's going to it's going to differ per the location that you're at. Um, but essentially, our term of work sharing, or as they like to call it, short-term compensation, it's a program to instead of you know laying off employees, the employers can keep their um, their employees in place and just reduce the amount of work that is available, so they can work in a sense of work in reduced hours. So in order to be eligible for this position, for this program, um, the short-term compensation program, employers must be have must have approved a short-term compensation plan in place with their appropriate state agency. So like I mentioned, depending on your state, the application process is initiated by the employer and not the employee. And therefore, in order for employees with the reduced hours to potentially be eligible for this, the employer must submit an application to the appropriate state agency. Now we do have templates and letters provided um, that we can provide you guys in order to submit our employee know that you're gonna be working uh, reduced hours. Um, but in order for, the, for them to qualify, employees must first be determined to be eligible for this, for the unemployment benefit, while receiving the, um, the short-term compensation plan. So this is perfect for uh, those dental practices that are gonna remain open for emergency procedures because the employees that are on this partial unemployment, as you would call it, or work sharing programs, they're gonna be able to still be able to attend and help the, person, the dentist out in case something like that happens. It is a benefit for businesses by retaining their valued employees and they reduce the cost of recruiting and training when this, you know, the situation ends and it goes back to normal. Workers can benefit by retaining most of their income and access to the health insurance whenever this subsides. Um, so essentially in short, uh, these working programs, um, again, like I mentioned, are only available for 27 states. So make sure that you check your local um, unemployment agency office to make sure that, that, is, um, that your state is covered and um, see what potential documents you need to provide in order for you to apply or if your employer needs to apply for, for the employees. Got you, got you. How? Oh, sorry, I cut you off. Go, 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 go. Um, so I'm in California. The unemployment is max four fifty per week. Um, so that's that's not a lot of money. Um, my my employees were wondering because <clears throat> I was I was telling them that I could potentially supplement that with um, like training protocols and them watching CE, but they were wondering how that would affect their unemployment benefits. So if the if they are going to file for unemployment, it, that essentially means that they were laid off because of this whole situation. You're either your office is closed. Um, so if they're going to file for full unemployment, that would be the reasons to file. Now, if you're going to supplement them with CE or you know making them train for some things, then I would recommend you do um, partial unemployment because you're technically still doing some sort of work, even though it's not necessarily regarding to what they would normally do. Um, because if you file for unemployment and you're still giving them 
a wage, then they have to report that to the agency and that might alter their unemployment status. So like I said, it depends on the state. Um, I would recommend checking the California state agency. I was just on there because I had a client ask the same question. Um, so they do have information provided for you guys to do that and make sure that you're asking questions because I mean, this changes daily, so it can't change by the end of the day today. And then it's something completely different tomorrow. Um, but just again, check on that website to see if there's anything, um, different. Gotcha. Okay. Um, question from somebody, how does it apply to new hires who have not been with us for 30 days, especially if they are part-time? Are you talking about the unemployment? Yes. So right now when I, when I've been searching and whenever the, they have like specific requirements, there's no limit right now. The only limit is, you know, you've been, your office is closed, something you're either being quarantined um, or something's causing you not to be able to go to work because you're taking care of a child. So those are the only requirements as of right now. Each state might be different. Um, and this is where I'm going back to checking through your state because they, there might be some sort of specific requirement for you to be able to do so, but I haven't seen a, a day limitation of, you know, you have to work for this practice for a certain amount of days for you to be eligible for it. Gotcha. And Gabriela asked, I guess she's asking like for a recommendation here. She says, lay off now or wait for the SBA loan? See, so that's, I guess, a more a personal like decision and for you to be able to think. Now we can recommend you different things, but ultimately we'll what to up do. to them. <laughs> I wish I could. <laughs> but no, with this thing, I would just think about it in the sense of if you want to, you want to maintain your, you know, employees in the long run. So if this is going to mm-hmm. affect you keeping them and, you know, draining you financially, then you do have the option of telling them to file for unemployment, even though they're not going to be paid the same amount. It's still some sort of compensation that they're getting with it. So I recommend if safest option, I would say that if you do want to apply for the small business loan, that's a whole different thing. And I don't know how long that's going to take. So I recommend you look at both options, make sure that you understand fully what you are going to, you know, do before you make a decision because you want to be informed. And then once you feel like you have, you know, which route you're going to take, then take that one. Yeah. And I, I definitely think that now is the time to kind of make uh, take a step closer to on what decisions, because again, there's, we're basically in limbo right now. There's a lot of things that we're waiting um, to see if we're going to be exempt from the ADA um, with this new act. We're waiting to see what the small business loan looks like. We're, we're waiting, we're waiting, we're waiting. And so the closer we get to April 2nd, the more our hands are going to be tied and we might make a decision based out of fear um, than really seeing how this is going to impact the practice long-term. Um, so there's definitely, I mean, the work sharing program is a great option to be able to reduce people's hours, but being able to keep them on board and hopefully be able to have them file for a partial unemployment Employment. So at least they're getting not their full salary, but they're being able to take care of bills, take care of their family. Um, and then you're doing your best to also making sure that we're not draining all of the money that we have left in, in the practices bank, because, you know, we don't know how long this is going to take. Some, some regulatory boards are telling practices to stay closed until June. So we don't know how long this is going to be. So we want to just be proactive now, really kind of doing the pros and cons and really seeing what's going to be best for the business long-term and how can I still you know, support my team and, and my business and my patients at all at the same time. 
Got you, got you. Um, a question is, how long does it take approximately from filing unemployment to receive benefit? So um, normally, before this whole coronavirus happened, you used to have there was a one week waiting period, but they have waived that. So really, depending on when you apply, um, it shouldn't take more than a week now, just because there's so many people applying. And I've I've gone through different Facebook groups that have been dealing with this, and one person applied on like a Wednesday and they got it by Friday. So it really just depends on the state. I mean, right now a lot of people are applying for unemployment insurance, so. It might take a few days, but um, it shouldn't. You don't have to wait that week like you normally would. So, if you were thinking about it and you think that's the right you're going to do it, do it right now. I, I would say. And yeah. another thing that I want to touch on too is if we have our team working at a reduced hour and maybe doing this partial unemployment and working from home, we want to make sure that we also have those policies in place. So having a um, remote working policy that outlines the policies, um, the processes and procedures for that, because even though they are working from home, if they're accessing patients' files, we want to make sure that they have a VPN. So we want to make sure that there's no opportunities, you know, for, for patient information to be compromised or hacked, right? So we have to with, uh, withhold the same high standards that we have when it comes to HIPAA, um, when it comes to our, um, you know, uh, those, uh, those laws as well. So just making sure that those parameters are set in place um, and then really having those, those guidelines. Okay. You're on mute, Ashley. Does she, Ash, does Ashley get that she's on mute? I don't think she gets that. Yeah. Sometimes. Hi. Sometimes. Sometimes. Um, if we lay off our, like, if, if we lay off our team members now and the SBA loan becomes available or that, that bill, that bazooka bill that they're all talking about, if that does, if that gets passed, do we just, are we able to just rehire our team members back as if nothing happened? Well, essentially, I mean, nothing's written anywhere that it states that you can't, um, you know, no one prepared for the situation. So it's, you're letting them go because of the situation. And hopefully when things go back to normal, you're going to be able to hire them back. Now, obviously you don't know if business is going to be the same or if it's going to be less or if it's going to be worse. So it, that's up to the owner's decision to see who's going to be coming back first and things like that. But anyone who's being laid off or terminated, it's not because of anything wrong that they did. It's because of the situation and they're still eligible for rehire. So it really depends if you're giving them some sort of notice and in, including in that notice you, you know, this is of no fault of your own and you are eligible for rehire when that time comes, depending on business needs. Okay, awesome. Um, another question by Shana. She says, I will be laying off after April 3rd. So should I do a memo now and have them file now or wait until then? So if you... Again, that's up to the owner's decision. We can only advise you what we know, but... Um, I would, if you, if you keep them after the second, then that you would be mandated to follow that bill. That's the only kind of like a limitation that you have there. If you're making them, if you're going to, you know, let them go by then and if, because they have PTO or for whatever reason, of course, use those days or, you know, paid them those days that they have uh, acquired. But if you don't want to be mandated to follow that bill, then I would recommend doing it before 
unless you're keeping them for another reason. Gotcha. Okay. I like that. Um, another question. I heard unemployment is about two thirds of normal pay. Is this correct? It depends on the state, but yeah, it's not going to be your full, full, um, regular pay that you would if you were working normally. So it's definitely going to be less, but Hey, it's not, it's better than nothing. <laughs> so that's what I always like to say. So, um, it, the exact amount will depend because they'll give you those options once you file. I haven't filed, so I wouldn't know, you know, the exact amount, but that's something whenever you do file, it'll let you know how much it would be, how much you're expected to know. All of the different aid packages that are coming out literally mm -hmm. on like an hour by hour basis there. It's, mm -hmm. it's so hard to say right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Shana wants to know, won't the bill likely be retroactive? What do you mean? What do you mean, Shana? <laughs> <laughs> I think she's the one who talked about, I'll be laying off the, after April 3rd. So should I do a memo now and have them file now or wait until later? So I know, and I think this is what's getting people confused too. There is a section in that bill where it says talks about small businesses and people who have 50 or less employees, which essentially a lot of the dental practices, you know, are those people who are being affected in like in a huge amount. So yes, there's a possibility of having that exemption, you know, be approved. We still don't know what the requirements are. We still don't have any more information on how to apply for that exemption, what to do, what documents we need. Um, so I would say don't expect it or wait that long because if you do and it doesn't happen, then you're still going to have to be faced with the possibility of following that bill. So, I mean, I know the Department of Labor is supposed to, you know, release some information as to uh, give the employees notice and give an example of how to go about it, but they still haven't. So I'm hoping that this week they do that because they have um, a week to do so. But whenever that happens, hopefully we can give you more information later on in the week. But as of right now, we don't have anything. Um, so if you're thinking of, you know, letting them go now or waiting until then, just the sooner you do it, I think the easier it'd be for um, filing for unemployment and things like that. Okay. Okay. I like that. And um, does the paid leave account apply to employees who have been laid off? So, and that, no, that's why I keep reiterating back to like do it before April 2nd. Cause then at that point they're not mandated. If they're employees after that date, then you would be mandated to pay them. But if not, then you wouldn't. And also not only is if you're working for the company for that, um, you know, after April 2nd, you have to have worked for the company or the practice for 30 days in order for you to be eligible for that as well. So if you just started working for them and then this happens and you're still working for them April 2nd and it's been your first week, then no, you wouldn't be eligible for those two weeks of paid sick leave. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So we're getting tons of questions, guys. Um, Ashley, you want to ask one? Um, Yes, I am a W-2 of my own company. Do I qualify for unemployment, partial unemployment? So that's something that you would have to contact your, because um, if you're a W-2, you're an employee. So yes, you would be. Um, but classifying, you know, 1099 and W-2s can differ depending on what you're doing. So again, check with your um, own employment lawyer to see if you are eligible for this, because a lot of this, we're not lawyers and we don't want to give you information that's not going to be, you know, 
true. And so definitely go back and check with your lawyers to make sure that you are um, covered and make sure that you, you are able to get whatever you need to and Your accountants, your accountants will be able mm-hmm. to help you out too. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good, good, good. I don't know if we answered this one already or I think we kind of touched it, but we, me, me young says we are totally closed and my employees claimed unemployment in California. Do I still need to send an official letter slash memo about laying off to be effective? You don't have to. I'm an HR. So if you don't document it, it didn't happen. So I always have this mentality of like, I want proof of everything. And so you are able to, if you want to, I mean, they've already filed and I'm sure they've already gotten it. So I don't think it's going to do anything now. Um, but like if one of the requirements is if your business or your work, uh, your place of work is closed. And so they've already met that. And so that's why they probably have already unemployment. So you don't, you know, you don't technically have to provide a letter of notice, but HR practice, I say do it so you have some sort of documentation to keep it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, that's good, actually. Good advice because, I mean, I talked to Samantha quite a bit, and I'm like, can I just text the person that I'm going to, like, let them go? And then and she's the one. I mean, you can, but it, as long as there's some proof and documentation of it, whatever form of it is, I say go for it. If you're doing it verbal, that's a big no-no. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Do you guys so many have ways. a letter? Do you have a letter, a template to address a temporary layoff to employees to have them sign? Yes. Um, so we created one this week just because you know the situation. So we do have that if you guys need it. And in that letter too, not only does it say, you know, due to the coronavirus, we, this is what we need to do. But at the bottom of that also, it states that you are eligible for rehire based on business needs. So um, if they do submit that to the unemployment state agency, then they're going to be aware that there could be potentially rehired again whenever this all subsides. Assuming, assuming somebody laid off their entire team, except for one office manager, um, because we're closed, uh, but you do have to go back for an emergency. How do you have to rehire that employee just to work that hour or two? So is the office manager like on a work remote or was she laid off as well or they laid off? She's um, on a work remote. So if she's on a work remote, then no, she's fine because she's still technically working and she's still able to go um, if she needs to. If she was laid off or if she was on like a partial unemployment where or reduced hours, she would still be able to go whenever that you know emergency procedure. Oh, I'm happens. sorry. I'm, I was talking about, um, I, I miscommunicated. If I let go of my dental assistants because okay. we're technically closed so but i have one uh, one patient that week who just has to come in mm-hmm. do i have to rehire that dental assistant to work for that two hours and then do you lay them off again like how does that work so i would have to double check and make sure that there's some like a procedure for that i can't i mean i wouldn't know how to tell you that in the straight of my head right now um the i think the safest route for this would be instead of like laying well if you already have i guess that would be different but instead of doing that i would make maybe possibly do like reduce hours so she's still able to come in um and so you know get paid and still have some sort of partial unemployment. Um, but if not, then I would have to double check and provide you that information because I haven't seen that scenario come up. So, Gotcha, gotcha. 
Okay. Um, another question. They say, Ivana says, do I have to pay them the same rate when I rehire them back? I just bought a practice and one of my employees is way overpaid. I was going to talk to her even before the outbreak. Now, after the outbreak, I don't think I can afford her anymore. I am thinking to reduce her pay slightly. Would I create an HR issue or any HR issues? So if did she did you say she let her go or was she worked before and then now she's going to rehire her? She said, I just bought a practice and one of my employees is where I was going to talk to her even before the outbreak. Now, after the outbreak, I don't think I can afford. No, it doesn't seem like she let her go. Um, okay, so <sighs> reduced pay is tricky. You are able to, again, check with your lawyers, like I said, but you have to, you have to have some sort of document presenting that, you know, letting them know and they're aware that they're going to be paid a different amount. Now, it can't be below minimum wage, mm -hmm. but it's not they have to have an agreement that they both agree in order for them to do so. And they, it can't just be just one person. So um, again, double check with your employer. I mean, your lawyer in order for you to be able to do that. So you don't cause any legal issues later on. Just to piggyback on that, Isabel, this also might not to, not to use this pandemic as a point of opportunity, but mm -hmm. when you are returning back to work, you might have to look at doing a bit of a pay cut for everybody and sometimes mm -hmm. cutting for an entire department might be, you know, better accepted from everybody than just targeting one employee. One person. So something to think about there. That's another thing that could be taken um, out of context as well is um, they could use this as discrimination, that they were the only person that was reduced their wages. So you want to make sure that if that thing that, you know, based on the business's needs in order for us to reopen, obviously we're not going to be like we were the day before everything happened. So it's probably going to take some time for us to be able to generate that revenue and that production again. So in order for us to do that, then everybody or this department needs to accept a, a reduced rate gotcha. and get it in writing. Another thing to double check too is if it's a fixed term contract, because anything stipulated in a fixed term contract, you're going to have to follow the terms of that contract. If it's an indefinite hire, then you should be okay to make those changes. Okay. Okay, that's good. That's good. Um, Ashley, you want to ask the next question? Um, um, 1099, can you still apply for unemployment? So unfortunately, no. Um, it's because you're your own essential business, and I think that's where things get confused too. Um, 1099 contractors are essentially like their own business. So if they're, you are providing services, you're basically invoicing that company for what you're doing. Uh, so 1099 contractors are not eligible for unemployment because they're not employees. They're their own specific business themselves. So this may affect a lot of you, yeah. There's also the... Um, you might be eligible for disaster unemployment assistance. Mm -hmm. That's the only other thing I can think of. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Asma asked, so I have an employee that started March 19th and had worked only two days past April 2nd. They would still be under 30 days. Do I lay them off or will the employee be exempt? If they're still working on April 2nd and they're less than 30 days, then the bill would not be, they would not be eligible for the bill. So then she won't have to, they won't have to pay them for those two weeks. So if you didn't want to, you know, lay them off, you can still do that because they won't, the bill won't affect them. Now, if you didn't want to go wait until April 2nd and you still want to lay them off, then they can file for unemployment. Like I said, I don't think there's a date limit on how many days you're supposed to work for the practice. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. 
And then Dallin wants to know, late to the party, sorry, what's the general consensus on employees who will have greatly reduced hours, say eight hours per week for the next month or so, lay off and then have them work limited hours on an independent contractor basis? No layoff. I have laid off three employees because they wanted to apply for unemployment. Two more will work reduced hours. I've heard mixed advice. So... Okay, so one thing, you can't just willy-nilly like classify someone as a contractor. There's a certain like classification that you have to go through and then identify what's like a 1099 and what's an employee. So if you want more information on that, we can definitely provide that because you could essentially be in legal trouble later on if you classify someone wrong. That's the first thing. The second thing, if you want to keep them, but they're only able to work a certain amount of hours, definitely do the reduce um workforce due to reduced hours and we can provide a letter for that as well that way you are you're still keeping them maybe they're not you know gaining as much as they would be but they can still file for partial unemployment and if they need to go in the office for an emergency procedure they can still do that now if you they you know they don't want to come in and you lay them off because they want to apply for unemployment they can still do that and they'll get the full amount of their unemployment um, and then whenever this subsides then can they can be eligible for rehire so there's like three different ways that you can think of it um, 1099 I would I wouldn't recommend going that route because it's very tricky and it's just you have to classify them right if you wanted to do that so um, partial unemployment slash reduced hours or full and then they, they're laid off for you know not working at the time because the office is closer for whatever other reason Gotcha, gotcha. So there's like a lot, right? I mean, a lot of questions, a lot of things happening. Could you break it down to us like almost like in bullet points or checklists exactly if I wanted to file for unemployment, what are the things I need to look out for? What might bite me back in the butt? And then what is okay to do? Okay, so for unemployment in the U.S., one, check your state (laughs) local agency and check their website. Um, There's going to be different things where you're located, so that's the first thing. Ultimately, a lot of the states have just just essentially given three requirements, which is, you know, the office that you work is closed and you can't go to work. You're taking care of someone who, uh, a child or a family member, or um, you, what's the third one? Or you're being, or you're seeking diagnosis, or you're being quarantined. So if you meet all three, which majority of people do, then you can file. Now you can go through online and do it. You can call call over the phone and do it through the phone. Um, I recommend for the employers to provide some sort of notice. HR lady talking. Uh, you know that way you, they have some things to submit, and you also have documentation of what you know what's being done. And then after that you can just kind of follow through the guidelines of um, doing the paperwork and they should notify you, you know, when it has been approved and when you're going to get your benefits. Okay. Um, Damien says important point to add in my discussions with other HR leaders, they noted that all exempt employees should be converted to non-exempt, i.e. converting them from salary to hourly and reclassifying via your payroll processor. You will also need um, to agree with the employee on the new hourly rate. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good point too. So if you are going to be switching someone from salary to hourly, one, um, 
we do have another letter. Trust me, we've been creating a lot of resources for you guys to be able to use for the week. Um, but another thing for that too is to make sure that you're calculating the conversion right, just because if you, there are two different ways to do it. And so if you do it for, uh, the first way, you might be paying someone more hourly. And the second way, you might be paying someone more salary. So it really just depends on how you do the calculations. But if you can get your, your payroll system to do that, then it shouldn't really cause any issues. But that is a good point. You you should be able to switch them over and make sure that they're signing the notice and that they're aware. Because if you don't, then that's just going to cause some problems. In doing so, you got to make sure that you notify them in advance in writing because you mm -hmm. can't just do it overnight, right? They need to right. have time to process the impact of the change. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and then Sylvester asks, will, employee, will employers get dinged with an increase in unemployment taxes when we lay off employees due to COVID? So unfortunately, that is something that not it has not been talked about a lot when I've been like reading through this, but because so many people and I think it's a percentage per state, because so many people are applying for unemployment in the future, like once this is done, it could potentially increase the percentage that unemployment um, is paid per payroll um, per company. So that could potentially be an effect of this. Yes. As as to how much it would be, we don't know yet. That's something that we'll have to wait, but yes, that can potentially be an issue later on. Gotcha, gotcha, okay. You wanna ask the next question, Ashley? Um, yeah, so Dallin, so here's my, here's my worry. I keep the two employees and they each work eight hours. Congress then passes a bill saying that I'm responsible for up to 12 weeks paid leave for employees. Will I have to pay that? So if this goes back to if you do keep them after the April 2nd, um, so if they do, then yes. I think there's like, um, I believe there's like two little requirements that you have to um, meet in order for you to qualify for the FMLA, like leave. If you're thinking taking care of a child um, or you're, being, you're seeking diagnosis. So they meet those and yes, you're going to be mandated to follow that. Um, Hopefully by then, though, like I really hope by before April 2nd, some things, we have more information on the exemption, so we don't have to worry about it, in, you know, that much. But as of right now, we don't have any new information. So I would wait and keep an eye out on that. But if you're thinking of keeping them, just, you know, do it as a reduced work hour. That way you're not necessarily, um, it's not taking a lot of financial hardship on you. Okay. Guys, this was like... Literally an all Q&A type of deal. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> they even asked Isabel, they're like, um, what company do you work for? <laughs> Good. <laughs> so another thing, if we can, if there's no more questions, what I would love to kind of chat about too is that I know that this group has um, practices that have recently opened, but we also have practice owners who are maybe like four to six months away from owning a or starting their practice, right? And starting to hire. So I feel like this would be a great opportunity for us to kind of say, here's the things that we want to have in place or you should have in place in order to be prepared for something like this, you know, knock on wood would never happen again, but we want to be proactive in our business. So let's, we kind of wanted to dive into some of those strategies, if that works for you guys. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Cool. 
Okay, good, good. So I guess um, there's quite a few things that we want to make sure. Um, obviously, making sure that you have an employment employee handbook that's in place. Um, that's something that should be right from the get-go. Isabella is saying yes and Olivia because they work on this all day, every day for our clients. Um, so there's definitely some new policies that you want to have in place in terms of pandemic policies. Um, just so in that way, we're kind of being a little bit more proactive in here also putting in in line um, in place in there as well the remote working policy so if ever something like this happened or if the practice had to close because of inclement weather or a natural disaster we have those policies and protocols and processes in place so in that way that team member if they understand that the office has to be closed we're gonna here's some things that you can do during working from home um, during those times as well so in that way then that's covered um, another thing that you want to I'm just kind of thinking about the things that we were talking about earlier about remote working is making sure not only that we have that VPN, but I know sometimes um, practice owners, most of the work that we're doing is in the office, right? There's very rare where we actually have to do something at home. And so we don't have the protocols in place. So sometimes the things that we get worried about is, okay, well, if I'm paying you four hours to work from home, how do I know that you're actually working and you're not just on Facebook? So there's a couple resources that you guys can use called the Hive Desk, Timesheets. Um, what's the other one that we're talking about? HubStep Hub is another one. Mm -hmm. yeah. So basically, it's just they clock in, they clock out. It takes screenshots, random screenshots every four to ten minutes. So in that way, you can look through, you know, kind of doing an assessment and seeing and that making sure that they're actually working on things for the business, not just online shopping and charging you for it. So just making sure that that's in place as well and having a clear, definite job descriptions and duties of this is what you can do working remotely from home. So again, putting that in your policy. I think another thing too to keep in mind, um, because a lot of the dental practices, you know, they do like Samantha mentioned, you they do the work in the office. Having to communicate outside of it in a remote capacity is something that you're going to have to get used to too. So, creating a communication policy or how to communicate whenever you're not, you know, in the office is a huge thing too. So, I mean, thankfully now we have technology and we can do Zoom and different, you know, conferences like this that make it easy to keep up with employees who are working. Um, so making sure that you have these policies and procedures set in place. I always say preparation is key to everything. So prepare, prepare, plan things out. And by having these policies, you're going to not only feel better and relieved in case something like this or some a new thing happens. And it's that way you just make sure that you have everything set in place. Um, also, the timekeeping policy, like she mentioned, making sure that you kind of give this remote work a trial run. I mean, I know now we're being forced to do it, but whenever you create the policy and procedure, once everything, you know, goes back to normal, uh, make sure that you try it out with the person that's going to be involved and going to be the one doing it. So maybe having them work once or twice a week remote and that way they get used to being and using the policy, using the procedure and being able to use the systems correctly, knowing what to do, where to go. Um, so in case something like this happens then they're prepared and they know where to get things because if you don't, then it's just going to make things a little bit more difficult for everybody. Yeah. And to piggyback on these policies too, we want to make sure that we have those temporary working policies or temporary layoff policies in our handbooks and in our employee agreements too, because it just makes life so much easier when they are already in there rather than trying to be retroactive in it and trying to get all these things in place now when we're already starting to implement these practices. Come on, I got it. Okay, cool. Yeah. 
You want so to ask just a question? A few well, I don't know if I actually wanted to ask a question or not, but continue. Sorry. I just was going to say those are a couple things just for practices to just kind of keep in mind as they they haven't opened, but they're kind of seeing what's happening right now. Um, so, you know, just being able to have that proactive. And that's another thing, like this is the opportunity for us to really utilize that time where we always say that I, I don't have time to work on my handbook. I don't have time to put together my SOPs. I don't have time for this. So now we're not working in the business. We actually have time to work on the business. So this is a great opportunity for us. Um, if we're utilizing those work sharing programs, those remote working programs for us to be able to actually work with our team and get all of those processes in place. And just remember to continue to communicate with your team, even if they have been you know, laid off. That doesn't mean that we're shutting off the communication. You guys go and try and you know, support your, your family and mental health and just I'll call you when we're ready. Maintain that open line of communication. Send them messages just to see how they're doing, just so in that way it shows that, hey, I, 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 I truly care about you. I'm invested in your, your personal, professional and, uh, and career. And I want to make sure that we, you know, are all unified. So when we get back to the office, we have that great morale where everybody is reunified. They're, they're excited to be back together. We have that unified, um, forefront. So in that way, when our patients come through the door, they feel that right? They, they feel that they're taken care of because you took care of your team. So continue that communication, even though if they are laid off right now, just still connect with them. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's great advice. That's good. Uh, but just to be super duper clear, somebody asked, where do you get the employee handbook? You create that, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, so really depending on your state, California is a whole monster by itself. Um, but really the location would depend on your state specific laws. Um, so some handbooks can range from like 20 to like 60 pages. Um, and yes, we do create them. I take my time to make sure that I include state policies that are, you know, employers are required to follow. And any policies that you feel um, your employees need in order for them to be acting properly. So I know nowadays we have, you know, smart watches. So we do have things like cell phone policy and smart watch, smart watch policies in order for them to continue to be an effective you know, employee and not be distracted at, distracted at work. Um, and any sort of kind of like team things that you think need to be put in place in order for the um, likelihood of your practice to go and be smoothly so if you need help we're here to help um my expertise are handbooks so yeah if you have questions about that just let us know gotcha awesome guys awesome and just to like uh-huh any other questions we can help with just to reiterate you guys said it was hive desks and what was the next one so Hive Desk, Hub Staff. So Hub Staff you can do through like an app or online. It's really simple. And then Hive Desk, you can download it to your computer. Um, you can do it online. You can see your time sheets um, whenever, you know, bi-weekly or however, however long you do your payrolls for. But it's really neat. You can download it. And then whatever you're doing, you can clock in depending on the project that you're working on. And they can screenshot um, what you're doing essentially. I need yep. that. And it's really cost effective. It's like $15 a month for three employees on there. I even think you can get a free trial. So maybe over the next yeah. couple of weeks, 
utilize that. So that'd be a great avenue right now. Yeah. And also make sure to know when to clock in and out of things. Cause I know it's happened to me. I use Hivedesk and I've clocked into a different client or like a different thing. And I'm like, Oh my God, no, I need to make sure I'm clocking into this one. So whenever you do try it out, make sure that you know, you know, which one you're clocking in. So you don't make that mistake. Okay. And then how do we get access to the sample template? We can upload that into the group files. Mm -hmm. So just like um, earlier this week, we uploaded an FAQ guide for um, the coronavirus. Um, So anything that we were continuing to develop new resources on a regular basis. So as soon as we, you know, get some more understanding of what's going to be happening with this act, then we'll create a guide on there too. We'll upload Mm -hmm. it to the groups and then we'll upload any templates that we have as well. But just a reminder that we are not lawyers. So anything, just make sure if you have any legal questions, make sure to reach out to your employment lawyer. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then Ashley. Oh, I was going to say if you have, so if you are laying off team members and they are new, so they haven't started to accrue any PTO, Mm -hmm. have you seen any of your clients, um, front load that just so that they have income and then when we start up again they've already used the PTO does that make right yeah so um in that case I know certain so this goes back to the handbook so depending on how you want want to do your you how you want to give your PTO benefit so sometimes it's after the 90 days sometimes it's after the first year depending on what you want to do um that will obviously take into place but with this situation if they just want to you know give that Instead of taking the days, it can just upfront them the money that it would take for them to be off and they can do that and then they can file for unemployment or they can just take them and whenever they open again, they'll, they'll just kind of like re-accrue uh, them. So it really just depends on the employer and how they would like to do it. You're not, as an employer, you're not required to give or take. I mean, if you have it stated in your handbook, then you are. But if you want to tell them to keep it, it's really just up to you. But you do have the option. And just to build on that, make sure that if you are choosing to do those kind of options, that you get it all in writing and you get it all in agreement. Documentation is key. Yes, always. <laughs> on, on April 2nd, FMLA applied to both full-time and part-time employees? I'm not sure if they did specify like if it's full-time or part-time. I would have to double check on that because I don't want to give them the wrong information. Um, so I will make a comment on that question once I have that information for you guys. Okay, cool. And then really quick, do you guys have a guide to create a handbook? Don't do it yourself. Yeah. Oh my God. Thank you. you. Not thank you. Yourself. Thank you for saying that. No, that don't is, because as well as like, Ugh. Don't no, do don't. Cause do not, I mean, I've had horror stories. I've seen handbooks and I'm like, where did you even get this from? <laughs> like, no. And so it's like, there's certain things that you have to have like an I nine, you know, some people sometimes don't have it, but that's a, that's a requirement for everyone who's working. So make sure that if you are thinking about getting a guide, or an employee handbook, talk to a professional, um, and make sure that everything that is in your state is included so you are covered because it's not written, didn't happen, and then that just causes more problems. Gotcha. Yes, don't contact a professional. Don't do it by yourself. And then can you get that money back if you give them a front-load PTO, PTMA? 
Like if they give them the PTO right now and then they come back and then. I'm assuming that's what it means. Matula, that's what you mean and you're watching? Let us know. But I'm assuming that's what you mean. I mean, the, the, the days that are given. So say you have, you set it up to where they're, they're five days is PTO. So if you give them that money up front, then they've already, you know, taken their PTO for that year. So you're not required to give them more. If you don't want to, you can consider the situation, but you're not required to give them more. It's not like they're paying you back because that's what you already agreed to give them. It's just a matter of like, you give it to, you gave it to them maybe a little earlier than expected. Yeah. He said, say they come back and then they quit. I guess that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a different story. Like, can you get that money back? So I would probably recommend, and Olivia probably would know as well, is that making sure that if you do give this an advancement to them, again, it's you have a wage deduction form or you're using some sort of documentation showing, hey, this has been given to you as an advancement. Um, if you leave but before this certain time, then this needs to be paid at, backed by this in this form, or having an um, installment plan where you're deducting what that would look like dollar-wise. That would be my recommendation. Yeah. I'll, I'll give that. And based on the on the culture of your practice, so if you if you are concerned about that with your employees, I would just say don't front load your PTO. Yeah, that's a simple way. Yeah, he's he's asking like basically, can I recoup if they are negative in PTO? So, yeah. Well, I've seen, I've seen some people give PTO and be negative, but you know, it's not saying that they're going to quit if they, if you're giving them that option, I feel like it's an unspoken thing where they're going to come back and like build it back up, you know? Um, Cause I'm sure if they quit after this, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how things are going to be. So who knows who's going to be, you know, hiring right now. So it really just depends. Or when you're going to be bringing them back on, right? Mm -hmm. So you might not have your full staff when you open the doors. So you might only have a limited amount. So again, that's something that you want to make sure that you consider. But to reiterate what Isabel and Olivia were mentioning, get it down in writing. Have that stipulation in there that if they no longer work with you, then, you know, or what the payment plan would look like when it comes back on how they would... Um, that would look like or how long they need to be with you for. Again, those are all things that I would definitely recommend to seek some advice and legal advice on before putting that all together mm-hmm. and have it ready. Okay. And then last question, I guess, because we're at the minute right now. So if you bonus your employee a two week paycheck, could you technically count that in the 14 day sick pay that may be required? Or will you have to pay the 14 days again separately? We say that again? So if you bonus your employee a two-week paycheck, could you technically count that in the 14 days sick pay that may be required? Or will you have to pay the 14 days again separately? So it would be an additional. Ooh. Yeah. So yeah, because that's great that you're giving them you know, <laughs> two weeks. Like, good. But if you're going to be keeping them after April 2nd, then that's just going to be another two weeks. So if you want to do that or wait until the second and here's your bonus, then that already kind of, you know, goes. You yeah, but if you've, if you've already issued out the bonus, you can't say, yeah. oh, that's going to be PTO now. I changed yeah, my mind. Because it's still not effective. Mm-hmm. Like you have to wait until the second for it to be, to fall through with it. Yeah. Do you cash out sick leave too when you're laying someone off or is it just PTO? If it's required by your state, then yes, you need to. 
Is California required? Probably. <laughs> yeah, California's a whole monster. <laughs> Jesus. Who pre- who opens a practice in California? Almost <laughs> everybody. So dumb. Uh, <laughs> oh, this is totally not HR related. I just wanted to end on a weird note. When you guys are reading all of the symptoms for for coronavirus, do you start feeling those symptoms, or is nope. it just me? <laughs> like this morning, I was experiencing shortness of breath. I think it's because I'm out of shape and I'm. All of my quarantine snacks, and then now I have like low grade fever. I swear, like, so. no. your throat is kind of like itchy whenever you feel somebody cough. You're like, God, oh gosh, yeah, I know, I know. That happens to me. So like, right now, I think maybe <laughs> right now, if like Samantha were to sneeze, I'd be like, you guys, geez, Samantha, God. <laughs> And then that's how much I. What is that called? Hypo. Crazy. Hypochondriac. Hypochondriac. Yeah. I call that empathetic. <laughs> Wait. Well, so just going like back to your question, Ashley, you do. If you're in California, uh, yeah, you're required <laughs> to pay them. It's almost like back to business. And going back <laughs> so to. Business. Sorry. This is. I just Michael and and I, my podcast all the time. Like we have to reel it back in. <laughs> all right. Oh man! Thank you guys for for spending an hour with us. Um, Thank you for having us. Is a beast. Do not make your own employee handbook. Yeah. Um, that's the only thing you get from today. Yeah, don't do yeah, your don't own employees. You want to make it more than once. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Which yeah. we do regularly. Um, but <laughs> another thing is don't wait. Don't be wait. proactive. We don't want to be reactive here. So again, I know we've been talking a lot about April 2nd. Now's the time to make that decision. We don't, we don't want to wait until March 31st to decide what we're going to be doing. So, um, so just being proactive and for those offices that haven't opened yet, make sure that you have a handbook. If there's anything that we can see or lessons that coronavirus has taught us is we want to be prepared. Wait, I want you guys to smile. You're going to go on my story. Michael, I said smile. Oh, I didn't know what you said. I, I just, <laughs> saw you taking a picture all the time. So photogenic. Uh...